from Climax, people of Climax, folks all around the world who enjoy this show, welcome to Climax the Podcast, love letter to a small town. I know I say it almost every episode, but I really hope this week is a welcome back because you might be a little confused if it isn't a welcome back because this is going to be a part two. Last week was Season 1, Episode 9, Ever Spiffy, Ever Sporty, Part 1 with Bob Weesey's Jr. Now, quick little footnote on that. The name of this episode, Ever Spiffy, Ever Sporty, is actually a nod to my beloved mother. On my Uncle Bob's 40th birthday, my mom put a birthday wish in the crescent which read, Ever Spiffy, Ever Sporty, is Coach Weesey's really 40. So a little tip of the hat and some thanks to my mom for a clever play on words many years ago now that really helped name this episode of the podcast. As our regular listeners should expect, we're going to get the business done up front. Our website, ClimaxThePodcast.com, is essentially everything you might need to know about this show. It links you to all of our social media where you can get updates on the show and goings on. It's where you can listen to the show. You can listen to it right there in your web browser at ClimaxThePodcast.com. Big button hopping up and down that says click to play here. Or it's a pathway to all of your favorite podcast services, Spotify, Google, Apple, Amazon, and a whole ecosystem of ways that you can subscribe and listen to this show every week. Of course, there's always the support buttons there. You can buy our t-shirts. You can make a direct monetary donation. This show is free to listen to, but it's not free to produce, but it's also not super expensive. So if anyone out there is in a spot and you feel like, hey, a couple bucks to keep this going is worth it, the means is right there on ClimaxThePodcast.com. Climax the Podcast is brought to you in part by Kristen Wachowski with State Farm. Insurance is one of those things that everybody needs to have, but oh, not too many people really understand it or what they need or what their coverage might need to be. And Kristen is someone I've known for a long, long time, and I would absolutely trust her for anybody that I might recommend or send her way for their needs for insurance. Kristen's office is in Battle Creek, just off the intersection of Columbia and 20th Street. She's right across the street from Ollie's and behind Chicago Title, and look for her big new signs showing State Farm Kristen Wachowski's office. Any variety of insurance you might need, condo insurance, renter's insurance, homeowner's insurance, life insurance, business insurance, auto insurance, get in touch with Kristen today. Give her a call at 269-968-968. 5130 or visit her website callkristin.com that's callkristin k r i s t i n.com and we always have to show our love on this show for prairie historical society so many of the things that have been researched for this show or the historical archives that all comes right from the good people at prairie historical society they've done so much to document the history of the town over the last several decades there there's just a treasure trove of information and history that you can get visiting the history room up at Lawrence Memorial Library. There's always something to learn in their newsletters, which come out six different times per year. It's just a great organization to make sure that we're doing everything we can to preserve the history of the towns of Climax and Scotts. And like any organization, they could always use your support to become a member of Prairie Historical Society. It's a $15 annual membership, so it's very affordable, and you can mail that payment to Prairie Historical Society. 107 North Main Street, P.O. Box 82, Climax, Michigan, 49034. Another organization that has been very integral to Climax the Podcast becoming a reality and getting the word of this podcast out there, it's Bruce and Crystal Rolfe at the Climax Crescent. The Climax Crescent has been documenting news and events in Climax for over 100 years. It's the town newspaper still going strong, and you can still get the paper. You can get your annual subscription. You can also get the digital or e-edition for the same price 
or you can get both for a slight price upgrade, you can subscribe to whatever option works for you at theclimaxcrescent.com. I mean, it's in the name of this podcast, Love Letter to a Small Town. If you're like me and want to keep up with all the goings-on in Climax, get your subscription to whatever version works for you. And just like that, the business is done. A couple other things, little bits of information, things to share. On a sad note, man, we've had way too many of these for a show that's only 10 episodes deep. Longtime Climax Scott's teacher, Fontaine Beauvais, passed away recently. Now, I only officially had Ms. Beauvais as a teacher for 7th grade social studies. By the time I was in high school, she was nearly exclusively, if not exclusively, an art teacher, and I was just never an art student. But I know Ms. Beauvais was good friends with Diane Stoddard, and I absolutely was the epitome of a band kid, so I still had quite a bit of contact with her in my high school days. And it's always just sad, and I sometimes say this if I'm sharing my feelings with, say, Facebook or social media or an audience larger than just people from Climax, but unless you're from the town, unless you grew up there, unless you went to these schools, or unless you were part of these teams or these communities, you just don't understand how much meaning virtually everyone in the community has in your life. Ms. Beauvais was part of the school system for a long, long time and touched a lot of lives, so this episode goes out to you, Fontaine Beauvais. Rest well, my friend. Now, a few episodes back, I did share that I was attempting to purchase the Crescent Publishing business in Climax. Wanted to give everyone it's kind of a non-update, but still wanted to update where things are there. In short, I've hit a big stall. Um, it's not completely dead. It's not completely off the table. But there is a very big stall on the Illinois side of things that I just got some information even about 10 minutes before I turned this microphone on. So some things I've got to sort through. Never say never, but I know it's not going to happen in any immediate form of the future. But that is the update that I've got as I've got it. Now another thing is after this episode finishes, I'm completely out of episodes. Now that doesn't mean the show's not going to go on. That just means that I'm trying to get home sometime before the end of April to do a few more interviews. Also going to try to see if I can start utilizing the live stream feeds on Facebook to try to get some episodes from folks who maybe I can't get in the same room with as easily as others. But don't be surprised, we may have a couple of weeks break because I just don't have any interviews and Climax is about 200 miles away, so it's not quite as easy as just sitting down with folks. But like I said, going to try within the next couple of weeks to get home. Going to try to set up some interviews and get as much as I can in the can, so to speak, so that we can keep Climax the podcast going. But my apologies, we're probably going to have a few weeks gap, but I can't turn out episodes if I don't have the interviews done. Now, as we segue to this week's main event, I'm going to start off with a little bit of a flashback, a last week on Climax the podcast, if you will. I'm going to go back about a minute or two, the final minute or two of the interview from last week. Bob started talking a bit about some specific baseball stories that I feel like it might be hard to jump into kind of in the middle of one part of a story. So we're going to have about a minute or two of repeat of last week. But for now, we're going to kick it over to this week's main event. It's season one, episode 10, Ever Spiffy, Ever Sporty, part two with Bob Weesey's Jr. With all the coaching and so many different accolades and so many people that know you as coach from your days as coaching CS, now the the big the big highlights we had the state championship was what years? Was that eighty four? 
75, 76, and 84. Okay. And then runner-up was in 90 or 91? 90. 90. Um, it, things just have to fall right for your team. I've, you know, I've had some other very talented teams, and you know, the way baseball is, a pass ball here, a wild pitch there, you know, a blooper over the second baseman's head, and you know, you lose to another very talented team. You know, and they go on. Um, in um, in seventy six, we're at the semifinal level, but. The way the draw was, Caseville in the other bracket had the pitcher of the state that year, who was an incredible talent, and they played a team from Potterville, and they won a one nothing ball game, and the Caseville kid had to pitch all seven innings, you know, to get the win. And he would have beaten us too. He was, he was something very special. So we won the semifinal game against Maple City Glen Lake, and that was a tight comeback game, but we were able to survive. And then we had to play Caseville in the final. But the Caseville pitcher, in, instead of the draw going, the draw went for us because he had three innings of pitching left. Mm, gotcha. So their number two, their number two pitcher was was not able to hold us. <laughs> A distant but, second place pitcher. But, but he, he, he's. His talent was incredible, but that that's just the way it goes. And and poor Potterville, who had a very, very good team, you know, got no hit, and their season's over. But that same kid, in a few weeks after that, he signed with the Phillies and, you know, had a minor league pitching career. Well, and you had so many different athletes come in and out of that program who had similar stories to that. Like Travis Wade jumps to the front of my mind when you just mentioned you know, pitchers who were part of high school teams and went on to have some some played, pro experience. Played, yeah, played junior college ball, uh, then some college ball, and um, you know, it's it's a dream come true when it happens. Um, the 1979 team, you know, did very well and got to the Final Four and then got got beat. Uh, for a eligibility concern, we lost um, lost a very, very good pitcher that could not pitch for us. 
um, his name was Jim Slager, and Jim outpitched um, a Lawton pitcher um, in a district game that scouts were all over the place looking at the Lawton pitcher. And Jim just shut them down. And then we were able to win the next ball game and then we were district champions. So the seniors go on senior trip and there was beer involved. And, um, Jim got caught playing cards with a beer in his hand by one of the chaperones and then Jim was not able to pitch for us in the regional the following week. Um, the regional comes up and for whatever reason um, our pitchers were our second pitcher, third pitcher, and fourth pitcher were throwing strikes and hitting spots and we were able to win our regional and now we go to the the state final which is in those days done like regular district play four teams go and mm -hmm. one team one team was going to survive on a single day yeah so stuff like that happens and you know, for every team after that, they would have to hear what terrible things can happen to you. <laughs> you know, yeah, the coaches learn and, you know, I, I just preach that forever. And that poor Jim, I mean, you know, to this day, he knows you know, if if we'd had him, we win it. We win it in '79. I mean, his the good fastball and uh, the two foot curveball, straight down, and yeah, he was he was good when he pitched against the the Lawton kid. I mean, the the scouts were just we weren't supposed to win, and Jim wasn't supposed to be the best pitcher on the mound. <laughs> But he was. Well, it's one way to prove the experts wrong yeah. sometimes. But one can of one can of senior beer, and his his dream was shattered. And of course, ours was ours was too because the the way baseball is, it's about the pitching. And people say it's the game's ninety percent pitching. Well, it's at least ninety percent. Everything is everything is important, but pitching is the most important part of it. Coaching the pitching is has always been a lot of fun for me, but that's job one. In in practice every night, you know, it it revolves around 
you know, what your pitching staff is going to do. I mean, all the other fundamentals need to be attacked, but they're all not jab one. You can hit all the balls in the world with a fungo bat if your pitchers aren't ready. Um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, live pitching, just, you know, putting your pitching staff on the mound for batting practice, just a, just a deal for me. And, you know, talking to the kids before practice started and say, you know, for your pitching assignment, for your batting practice assignment, which was not throw it in there so the hitter, their pitching assignment was you're, you're going at it game. You know, you're not, you're not telling the hitter what's coming. We're going man on man. He's going to take his best shot at you. You take your best shot at him. But we had to always limit that to how the pitchers felt. Mm -hmm. How many batters do you want? Three. Okay, so we'd have the next competition pitcher. How many batters do you want? And once the pitching staff was got their assignments done, then we bring in kids that someday wanted to be pitchers to finish out the batting practice at the end of the day. And then it was, you know, coaches throw the rest. You know, you can't start with coaches because the coaches' arms just aren't. <laughs> just aren't. It, at that point, then it's then it's shorten up, get on a mat, get a protective screen. Mm -hmm. That's not too different than than how major league on field practice is done now. I mean, they throw about forty feet with a coach behind a protective mm -hmm. screen and. Know, their pitching staff really you know doesn't they'll, they'll do that on a day off or if a pitcher needs live work coming off an injury you know before the short net is brought in that that will happen for the major leagues and that's that's not too different than you know than what I was trying to do each day I mean, I mean there were some days certain certain pitchers you know, you know they pitched the night before. You know that kid's not going to have competition batting practice. Yeah, that was you know, the the career went from um, seventy six to ninety eight. It was a heck of a run for the education and the baseball and. Looking back on it all, any any other particular favorite memories from either the the education or the coaching oh, background? Geez. Oh, geez, so many, Kevin. That <laughs> that's a great question, and um, I think I could write a book about you know significant. As a teacher. I love the teaching just as much as the baseball coaching. 
I always knew I wanted to be a baseball I coached basketball and I coached football and and I enjoyed those but you know baseball was you know was was definitely a number one on my mind and you know that fulfilled the competitive part of me uh, providing the guys and the school and the community of I had a vision for what I wanted the baseball field to look like and the experience I wanted the baseball players in the community to have right from you know when I was named coach it was get on the field and define the baselines the mound you know the entire thing um, the previous year when I was athletic director we changed the the dirt surface the dirt surface that we had was insufficient and giving like you know just oh, like a playground gravel mm -hmm. and stone in it so that had to go so that was scrape that all down but I was athletic director in the 74-75 year and you know there were other things that we were doing but in cooperation with the athletic boosters it was scrape off the infield dirt and bring in the new crushed limestone which is it's what it has mm -hmm. on to this day and it's had you know other loads that have have had to come in um, about the the teaching experience and spending time with uh, with the little kids I mean, what a gasp. I wanted the classes always to be organized well enough so we could, the 30 minutes are precious time and you can't, you can't waste time with me talking and trying to settle you down. I, I need <laughs> you to listen from minute one. Here's what's gonna happen, let's do it. So instruction could be limited to one minute. In some cases, if things were set up, the kids would report to their first location and, and on we'd go. Previous class out, new class in, there's your spot, let's go. But in, enjoying the kids, I mean, I. I just could not get enough of the kids. I ate lunch with whoever happened to be scheduled for my, my lunchtime. I would sit down with those kids and I wouldn't talk. And my, that was my special time to listen. And they were more than happy to tell me. And, you know, in their <laughs> mind, with the little ones, which, I almost was always scheduled to to eat with the kindergarten and first graders. 
and what a group. I mean, <laughs> they think that you know about their life. They think you know what their dog's name is, what their <laughs> cat's name is, what color the bedroom is. They just they think you know everything in in their life. So they begin their stories. Jimmy did this and you know, Jimmy did that and I got scratched and <laughs> you know, it would just and Sometimes they'd say things that you'd have to pretend that you just didn't hear because sure. if, if you touched it, if you said anything about it, um, <laughs> you, do, you just want to pretend like you didn't even hear what they said yeah. because they'd, they'd say something that would, would just embarrass people. <laughs> The little one, and then, and not you know, not that I liked them, you know, more than fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. You know, it's just that 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 happened to be the time I I could have my had my lunch with the the other teachers, um, and I liked the other teachers. It just mm-hmm. it, it wasn't important to me, but just to just to sit at the at the different tables. <laughs> they put their hand come on come on come on I, I got a story to tell you you know and, <laughs> and they'd know that you know I wasn't there to you know, tell them anything I was there to listen and oh my goodness the stories Kevin's stories I, I can't share with you oh I, I maybe told you one or two of those stories yeah. over my elementary <laughs> yeah <Just laughs> good kids good good fun well I think the you know, I hear the I hear the fond memories in your voice. I, you know, our listeners maybe can't see it in your eyes since this is an audio, an audio file. But just know that I know for anybody around my age group, just the the fond memories are equally shared it, on the other side for so many of the kids that you've taught and coached over the years. It it was a pleasure to to innovate and add to the program. Um, but just you know, just be part of the experience, and and you want the organization helps the experience. You know, run well. And my demeanor, I mean, I personally have a need for organization. That's that's just the way I am, but. Not wasting time. I mean, that's in the that's in the character, you know. And I'm through this whole thing. Well, not all the years because, you know, my army experience ended in '94. That went from '72 to '94. But, you know, I was trying to build field, maintain field, teach, coach, be a father. Uh, try to be a husband you know and all of those yeah it was um, it was good it was and just just loved it and I and I didn't didn't really know when I made my career decision 
you know, that it would care so much, but did enjoyed it. And then, you know, when the when the end came, um, that was hard. That was it was hard to retire. Uh, wasn't was not not ready to. Uh, had good years, and I I started young. I started as a twenty two year old. You know, but I was retired by uh, 2000 and 2009, and you know, I still had, I still had the juice. <laughs> I still had the juice to do it. <laughs> I find myself, Kevin, in our in our conversation, just having so much you know going on in my brain you know that pick a story here and pick a story there but organization and having the cooperation of students is just so important but every once in a while which you know, and we won't name names. Of course. But there were individuals that were not buying into what I was selling. Yeah. Not many through the years, but a few. But to, for me, it was not to get upset about it, just I accepted that these individuals were the, the way we were, well, the way they were, and stubborn as they were, just realize you're just not changing them. You, <laughs> might, you might affect them, you know, but anyway. But just to, just to not get upset and, and just treat them well. They deserve good treatment, but we'll miss you. We're going to miss you. You know, you're not gonna be involved in our activity. You're not, you know, you've agreed to do the alternate activity. The primary activity, we'll miss you. And Kevin, you know that that's that's how I handled it. Oh yeah. Not, you, not to be upset. You could either play floor hockey or maybe walk the line would be one example. Yes. Well, walk the line. I mean, that was. You'll get some physical activity out of it, and you'll show others that you're being, at least compliant, you know, to an extent. So yeah, that became one of the alternative activities for a non-complier. <laughs> but why get upset? Yeah. Why get upset? There's just, but yeah, that, my demeanor would just make certain students just entertained. <laughs> just entertained. Um, certain students would just 
just love to watch the exchange that would take place. Connie, will you come get this for me? Hello, just a minute. Connie? It's Debbie. So you were talking about uh, the demean your demeanor would amuse certain students <laughs> when they would kind of pick up on the details. Um, yeah, yeah, just, um, but it, it just wasn't this case. I mean, there were just a, just a few other cases through the years. Um, I was really appreciative my first years when I had, had very little equipment how many calisthenics and run-walk activities that we did just because, you know, what do you do with two balls and 25 kids? You know, you can't, you know, do that many ball skills with, of course, then, then with the help of the Mother's Club and, you know, principals buying into the program you know, the number of scooters got greater, the number of balls got greater, and then it became, you know, the philosophy of the entire program is every kid gets to have every object for as many of the minutes. You know, I wasn't the inventor of pickleball, but pickleball as an activity now is is very popular with adults. Mm -hmm. But we played pickleball, you know, as far back as in the seven <laughs> in the seventies and badminton was one of the activities. Um one of the activities that you could do that I developed by watching, you know, tennis coaches as a runaround activity when you'd hit the ball and then you'd have to run around the net to the other side and get in line with another group of players. And it was an elimination game when some people, one person failed to get it across, then they were eliminated, uh, kind of like musical chairs would mm -hmm. be, but a mu musical chair version of badminton mm -hmm. and pickleball but having enough paddles for all the kids that was uh, <laughs> buy a three-quarter piece of plywood and draw out a paddle ball paddle mm -hmm. take a jigsaw <laughs> and cut it out sand the whole thing those are things that you're doing at home you know to so every kid could have a paddle in the room and you know then you start with pop the ball up you know individually mm -hmm. doing poppers and then wrist rollers and then off the wallers and then partner back and forth and geez i haven't i haven't taught since you know, 2009, and those things are still fresh in my mind. 
Well, I think why, they're fond why? memories for as many of the kids as they are for you. Like, I remember pickleball and pretty detailed <laughs> memory. Developing an appreciation in the kids and a feeling for, I'm comfortable with this, I want to do this now, but I want to do something like this for the rest of my life. I want to be active and engaged. You know, and even the, the few non-compliers, you know, just just to get them an appreciation of moving and staying engaged, staying alive. Yeah, that's... I wanted the kids to experience something that was valuable that they could, you know, maybe do for a lifetime or something else that just get started in something and be well. But landing in the, the elementary the way it was, you know, I, I first thought high school was going to be where it was at. You know, and by a few weeks into the elementary school, I knew that this is it. This is just it. We did things in the last year. The the parents club, you know, bought us heart monitors, and you know that was that was kind of neat. And we were only able to to get six, but you know that let us get some, you know, some data. Mm -hmm. Oh shoot! They're just they're just. The stacking cups, that that became a real deal because I wanted to do something fine motor. Stacking cups. That's a a little package of twelve cups, and you stack patterns. You stack a three six three, take them down. You stack a six six, take it down. You stack a ten. You tap out the 11th and 12th, and then you disassemble as fast as you can in time. You know, for time. Mm -hmm. Be the first one done, be the second one done. Done, clap your hands, <laughs> we're finished. Um, yeah, that, that was a fun trip, and boy, I don't know. You know we haven't done this, done a very good job, Kevin, of of being consecutive. Oh, for, that's not what this for me. <laughs> this, you know, there's there's just so much there. Not all of it good, you know. Sometimes, you know not having quite enough equipment to make the activity that could that was a frustrating part of it but mm -hmm. then you just have to adapt um, and 
build off it. Then I was trying to have a, at first I wasn't planning on having a, a career in the army, but that just, that snowballed and Um, I finished as an E8, which is first sergeant, station chief of uh, our communications outfit. And I wasn't, I wasn't ready to end that career, but the, the transfer options for someone at that pay grade are, are more limited. I mean, yeah. you, you'd really, you'd really have to travel to get a position, you know, equal to or greater. So, you know, for me, it would have been uh, like transferring to Detroit or Indianapolis and teaching and coaching. That would have been really tough it was it was very nice for my career to spend most of it in Battle Creek there were some temporary assignments in you know in Minnesota and Chicago temporary duty but you know those never interfered with never were in conflict those assignments took place like in the in the summertime mm-hmm. Well, I remember those being, uh, you'd have your couple weeks at a time, and what was it, one weekend a month for the most part? Yeah, but when when you got to be senior, it got to be, you know, three or four hours on a Wednesday evening when everything mm. else is done in preparation for the drill because you're not at the level that someone's drilling you. You know, you're drilling the others (laughs) or you're drilling, you know, the entire detachment or company. And, you know, being, you know, the buck really starts with the real soldiering is done by the enlisted group. There are wonderful officers that, that decide things, but the officers don't really run things. It's... If someone, if someone would uh, refer to a sergeant as sir, you know, the answer back was, don't call me sir, I work for a living. And that's, that's kind of a dig at the officers for not doing it. And, and sergeants would love, just love to have someone say in front of an officer to be called sir and just just (laughs) don't call me sir i work for a living just so the officer made sure the officer got to hear it and the officers of course they can't they just can't say a thing they got to take it so sometimes you know poop does run uphill in most cases Poop runs downhill, especially in the army. But that career was 
was rewarding and challenging. You know, I miss I miss that. Uh, I mean, how many people can really say they had three very fun, <laughs> successful careers between <laughs> education, coaching, and army, and now you're a career papa with grandkids spanning from three to yeah. twenty-eight? I think if I'm doing my yeah. quick math right, we're in the ball roughly three to thirty, yeah. but I think three to twenty-eight right yeah. now. Yeah, 95. I think the math checks out on that. <laughs> As Bob, Connie, and I all furrow our brows and go, how old are we now? <laughs> but now you guys get to enjoy a lot of grandkids and a lot of youth games. And now we've got another family nurse, a formerly family nurse in our midst. Yes, we do. We have a granddaughter, Callie, that is a registered nurse and working at Bronson Hospital in Kalamazoo. So now I want to talk a little bit about my wife. I would be offended if we didn't. Well, <laughs> she has had to put up with so much from me because of the demands of, you know, the career, you know. I'm in the basement cutting out plywood paddles so we <laughs> can have enough paddles in the beginning. When I left, they were all store-bought and all the, the ones that I'd made had been retired. Pretty splintered, but <laughs> at that point. So, Connie has had to put up with all the coaching and taking care of the developing and taking care of the field, which we didn't make any money for that. That was all a donation to the players, but also that was hoping to develop, you know, pride of the players and the parents and the community. I wanted the players just to be, you know, so proud, but also be thrilled, you know, to be out there. Which makes them want to practice more and, you know, the more you practice, the better you get. But back to Connie and, and not complaining, oh my goodness. Practice and then taking care of the field and then coming home dirty and being welcomed by a wife that not mad, not disappointed, but accepting of yeah, that's just that's the way he is. That's you know, coming home tired from Army, not complaining about that, and getting up at 3 or 3.30 in the morning and leaving and helping with my uniform to make sure it's starched and like it's supposed to be. 
and things sewn on the way they're supposed to be. So I had an opportunity to say thanks. So it, we're in it's '98, and I'm it's my induction night to the Michigan High School Baseball Coaches Association Hall of Fame, which those names are those names are on a on a plaque at Comerica Park right now. All the inductees have their names. So and unfortunately they spelled my name wrong, but <laughs> how that exactly happened that had, had to do it. Okay, so here we are in, in Detroit and it's it's the night before the high school all-star game, which I said earlier that I had an opportunity to coach and actually be the head coach of it. I had assistant coaches. So I was the last one to have to come up and tell my little story. So number one gets up and He tells this and he tells that and I did this and I did that and okay and he said that and the next guy got up and it was I did this and I did that and you know oh okay I guess this is is the way it is and I had a few notes that. nobody was gonna care about, you know, my little story. But my little story, I became to, I, to realize was, you know, very similar to every one of those guys that, had, seven of them, all pretty much the, the same thing and nobody was gonna remember it anyway. <laughs> any one of those things and I said, I'm not doing that. Okay, so my name's called and and poor Connie. <laughs> I did not tell her. But I stood up and I grabbed her hand and in so doing I, I made her stand up and please come with me. So I took her to to the podium, and you know, and I'd like to tell you about this woman. I want to thank I thank them, I believe, for the honor. And I said, I would like this lady to be honored for supporting me through the entire career. And not complaining once, making cookies, <laughs> being the mom of the team, you know, providing drinks and support and 
someone's short of a sweatshirt, she'd come and, you know, find a sweatshirt, things like that. But so I finished, you know, telling these these type things about Connie and how wonderful she'd been, and again thanked them, and 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 that was it. So. The guy stands up, steps up and thanks everybody for coming, wishes them, of course, well on their way home. And it's time to collect our things and leave for the night and go to the hotel room. And before we could do that, there were two coaches' wives that were at a run so they didn't miss me. Run, run across the room to, to shake my hand and tell me that that was the neatest thing they'd ever seen. They were obviously coaches' wives <laughs> and probably coaches' wives that had never been had never been publicly thanked. But I'll always remember those ladies thinking <laughs> that that particular speech was the neatest thing. But, you know, to, to do all these things, you have to have somebody like Connie that puts up with it, true, but, you know, supports you. And she's still supporting me, so I, you know, that's probably why we're still together well in addition to that how many thousands of pages of <laughs> well how many thousands of pages of score books are in your handwriting oh, <laughs> as goodness. well yeah. is there a michigan athletic association <laughs> uh, scorebook keepers all Keep, of it keep, keeping score and then you know going to other games and keeping score that's just you know it's just you know the detail and what pitch was that and But we've been together a, a long time. We, we were a thing way back in high school. Well, it, definitely a love that has stood the test of time, I dare say. And I've been fortunate enough to know you as Uncle Bob and Aunt Connie for yeah. 40 years. Yeah. And I don't want to make any of us feel too badly by saying the real number, but... I've been lucky to have you as family members and as coach and as <laughs> team mom and as teacher. And I, I know I consider myself lucky and I know a lot of people in this community consider themselves lucky as well to have yeah. had I, you guys I, in their lives. I find this to have been, you know, more of a, an emotional experience, you know, than I thought it was because I, you don't, you don't bury you know these kind of memories really you just you just don't think of them you know that much yeah sometimes you just gotta kick the rocks a little bit and knock some of the dust yeah. <laughs> they are in there but i'm so glad that you've made the time to sit down with me in this trip home and very glad to get oh, the story a, of yeah. uncle coach bob robert jr <laughs> mr <laughs> mr bob Weeses. it was a pleasure it was a pleasure.
you know, I'm, I'm really glad you do these kind of things. Now, there's a lot of good things in this town that need to be documented. A lot of good things that luckily have been documented, but as I look at the landscape of Climax and Scott's, I kind of go, who's going to take over doing these things when certain folks maybe yeah. aren't able to do yeah. them anymore? Yeah, I, changes. You know, a lot of changes in the community. Some for the better. I'm just looking at even just some folks who, gosh, you almost feel they're going to be, they're immortal because they've been in your lives for so long. But looking at the last couple of years, Ellen Pierce, Lois Joslin, we just lost Lois Joslin a week ago. And I thought those are two people I would have loved to have done a podcast with that just, we won't have that chance anymore. But I'm glad we got the chance to do this today. And who knows, maybe one day there'll be a part two, three, four. Cause you, well, that, that you bring up Ellen and, you know, wow. Um, I didn't teach in in her building, but I had the pleasure to have Ellen as a teacher right from the beginning. So I thought, as you had her rookie of, year of her career, and she, she was the thing. She was a wonderful, wonderful. Right from year one, she was you know number one on staff as as a rookie in dedication and talent yeah yeah Ellen remarkable remarkable and that brings the main event of episode 10 to a close many thanks for two weeks of great content from my uncle Bob coach mr. sergeant Bob Weesey's Jr. And just like every week, my thanks goes out to you, the very ears listening to this podcast. Without the great support of the community where I grew up, there just wouldn't be a need for this show. The reason it is still going to continue is because of the great support of listeners like you. Thanks for everything you do, listening to the show, subscribing on the different feeds and channels on which it's available, liking, sharing, reviewing all of those things help these wacky algorithms out there in internet land and let's all do what we can to put a little positivity about our community in people's ears instead of more and more of the same old same old if you know what i mean from the doom and gloom on social media feeds this podcast isn't about any of that it's about an amazing town the amazing people of that town and an amazing community helping keep this show going thanks for all your support of climax the podcast Love letter to a small town. Hopefully I'll be talking to you guys again real soon.